The Sisters Perspectives is a forum where individuals come to express their viewpoint, their stance, their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the community globally. Each week, our co-host and featured guests will present a perspective through a unique lens. The Sisters Perspective gives the world a frame of reference, an ear, a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, health. The Sisters Perspective is a roundtable on hot topics with dialogue on issues in the news. It's a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. So come check us out and give us your perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sisters Perspective, where we are giving the world a voice. I am Layla Lane White, your host, along with special correspondent Paula Ann Granston. This segment of the Sisters Perspective is a focus on AIDS, its impacts on the incidence and accessibility of health care within our communities. Since 2015, she has been Deputy Director of Research and Evaluation for the Latino Commission on AIDS. She is currently a doctoral candidate in the area of public health with more than 10 years of experience in the area of research and epidemiology. Here to give us her perspective on the incidence of ex- and accessibility of health care within the Latin American community is Gabriela Betancourt. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, to start out, can you, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to share who you are and what your accomplishments. Can you talk about who you are and the impact you and your organization has made in the realm of HIV and AIDS for your community? Sure. So thank you so much for inviting um, me of to course. join you all. Of course. Um, So my name is Gabriela Betancourt, and I work with the Latino Commission on AIDS. Um, The Latino Commission on AIDS is a nonprofit organization that is based in New York City. It started um, over 25 years ago to address the impact of HIV and AIDS in Latino communities. Mm -hmm. Um, It started out really being a community-based organization focused in New York City's Uh, Latino communities, but since then we have grown to offer services at the state and national level. Awesome. Um, Yeah, and so we offer uh, a couple of core services. One is direct services, so where folks can go to get uh, testing, both HIV and STIs uh, testing. We also offer uh, behavioral interventions that folks can take part in. Aside from that, we offer linkage and navigation services to folks that have been diagnosed with HIV or are interested in accessing PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis. We also offer what's called capacity building assistance services or SEBA services. Um, And aside from those services, we do engage in uh, advocacy work as well as research uh, related to health disparities among Latino communities and other communities that are also uh, burdened by the HIV epidemic. Okay, awesome, awesome. Can you describe the challenges faced by the Latino community that you serve and how you and your organization have managed to facilitate any improvements. 
Sure. So I think one important thing, um, and I, I really appreciate the, the title that you have for this particular um, podcast, which is a crisis of access. Okay. I think one uh, crisis that affects uh, Latino communities um, and other communities in the U.S. is a crisis of access. So not being able mm -hmm. to access services either because of cost, because of uh, stigma, whether that's at the individual level or institutional level, and also uh, different policies and procedures that make it difficult to access comprehensive quality health care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and I, you know, especially when it comes to medications and I, I'm, I'm only recently, I've only been recently made aware of the fact that certain medications are, are not available um, to all communities. You know, if you're if you're in a if you live in a certain community and you are of a certain socio um, ethnic uh, ethnicity, if you will, um, you know, you may not receive the same brand of or the same effective medications that I would if I were if I lived in an upper middle or or a, or a high class high income area. So that's that's important to know. And that's important for our listeners who may be unaware of that disparity between um, having, having access. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. and so I think that that's a really key point is that there's multiple factors that are at play. One is whether something's actually available to someone. So maybe depending on someone's insurance or yeah. uh, socioeconomic status, they may be uh, able to purchase something or access or access something that's available to them. And then there's also the accessibility issue of providers that may not, for whatever reason, um, let's talk about PrEP, right? So pre-exposure prophylaxis, it's a medication mm -hmm. that you can take once a day to prevent um, becoming infected with HIV. We see that the uptake among folks that are at high risk among, let's say, white uh, men who have sex with men is quite high, but it's not wow. as high among other community members such as Black MSM, Latino MSM, uh, mm -hmm. and also um, heterosexual women of color that could really benefit from the medication. Part of this mm -hmm. is that providers may not be aware that this is an effective medication. Uh, other aspects might have to do with providers having their own internalized stigma about what that uh, medication may mean. So there's different um, components to the accessibility issue. Absolutely, there, there is. And Right. What's, per what, what's perplexing to me is that, um, you know, in this country at this at, at is currently uh, in a crisis by which they are, for, for various reasons, alienating members of the Latino community. And, you know, and and, and I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that there's a political aspect to that brand of availability that, we, that you're speaking of, particularly in the Latin American community. Paula Ann, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? Oh, no, no, you're good, you're good. Um, this is a really good conversation. I was just going to say um, that that response is really good. And 
in the past, like in the past six months, I've done just a little bit of research on mm -hmm. AIDS stigma. And we all know that there's a lot of stigma surrounding STIs, STDs. A lot of people don't even know the difference between STIs and STDs. And right. the stigma that's very common in our society has a large psychological and emotional impact on those who have been diagnosed. So I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, how do you think that we as a society can begin to mitigate and do you normalize HIV and AIDS stigma? Do you think that we should take a public health approach or another approach? Well, uh, in full disclosure, I am a, a, a member of the public health field and I've been trained in epidemiology and I do most of my um, research around social epidemiology. So my answer is yes. I do think that, you know, uh, individual level uh, interventions um, help, but nothing beats sort of having a comprehensive sexual health education that's inclusive, starting from like, you know, pre-K on up right. uh, to normalize sex and sexuality and also things like sexually transmitted infections and how they can be prevented and um, including HIV. Um, Along with that, I do think that having um, providers, so on that level, being able to really be culturally responsive to the range of clients that they're seeing is important. And so by culturally responsive, and I know we're, we're kind of focusing on the Latino community, you know, kind of being aware that Latinos are actually quite diverse and that it's not just about being able to speak in Spanish, right? Right. Um, mm -hmm. And that sexuality and gender identity and what maybe you were assigned at birth, uh, all these things may be very different from what we ourselves grew up with, right? So right. there's that aspect of um, maybe at the provider level at, medical school, nursing, what have you, like, that's also something that should be um, taught. And then at the organizational level, really having policies um, and even just guiding principles of how to treat someone with respect and with dignity who's walking through your doors to access services. Amazing. Yeah. And I've heard one of the most striking stories I've ever heard is someone was in college, they were diagnosed um, with HIV. And he told his roommate, um, you know, about his diagnosis. And his roommate stopped eating his food, his roommate stopped like, this is a very visible and drastic change where his roommate stopped touching him, um, stopped sleeping in his bed, like the misconceptions. Um, and you know, the false information surrounding HIV and AIDS, it's insane in this country, it definitely goes back to sex education, um, you know, even even the abstinence only sex education that I that I received in the South, I grew up to believe that STDs and STIs are are only things that quote like bad or quote irresponsible right. people get. Like that is the education that I grew up on, and it's so hard to unlearn those things that are just like rooted in our consciousness from such an early age. So I really absolutely, absolutely. So I think that that's a really key thing is that one thing is that there's like that internalized stigma that we have, um, but we're not necessarily as a society creating sort of mechanisms to right. make that happen less and make that reinforce 
forced less this idea of like you're dirty or you're bad or you're other because it's not really presented um, from a young age on up as something that's you know just part of the human experience and well, also the misconceptions around HIV even for folks that might be the most educated still have misconceptions and wow. you know those of us that were coming up like in the 80s um, you know HIV is not a death sentence now the most important thing is to a know your status so get tested um, B, once you know your status, if you are living with HIV, start taking treatment as soon as possible because that's been, sh- that's been proven um, to really uh, increase the lifespan of folks and to really have a healthy lifestyle is pretty much going to have the, like the same health uh, age span as someone who's not living with HIV. Um, I don't know if you all have um, heard about this, the U equals U campaign. So really letting folks know that undetectable is untransmittable. So folks that are living with HIV to get their viral suppression um, to uh, uh, to be virally suppressed and they cannot transmit the the HIV virus through sex, but also it's really about their own health. And for those of us that maybe are working in the field, this is not necessarily new information, but I think it's important to make sure that our community members are aware of it. Similarly with pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP, and also just the range of sexual and reproductive health options and tools that are that are available but depending on where you are may not be as accessible um to folks Mm -hmm. okay so speaking of uh that's great information but speaking of uh stick the that aspect of stigma we Mm -hmm. uh, that you mentioned earlier what is your perspective on the role that poverty plays in the occurrence and access to treatment of HIV and AIDS uh, in our communities, especially in the Latin American community? So I think that it's important to understand that um, there's different aspects of poverty and um, aspects of it that are, that intersect with housing, with having stable employment, Absolutely. With being able to meet your basic needs. Um, and all these things come into play when one is thinking about being able to take care of their sexual and reproductive health, because sometimes that might not be the priority. Um, gotcha. So I don't think it's like a straight line between A and B. I think it's all related. Um so I do think that it is important to recognize that socioeconomic status matters, but to understand why it matters. It's not necessarily because poorer folks um, may not be knowledgeable or may not care or, you know, these things that sometimes uh, we still hear in the media or that we might have grown up with or are sometimes on public health messaging but that it's uh, a really complicated um, force. 
And even folks that are very aware of how to, you know, protect themselves from sexually transmitted infections, maybe if they're in a situation where they're not in the most stable of housing and they may be engaging in sex work, um, engaging in condomless sex may be a way of getting more money. So these are things that uh, for those of us that are in the field, that we are providers, that we need to be able to uh, address these situations without our own internalized stigma or judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting perspective because uh, we've always thought of um, the socioeconomic status playing a role in the occurrence of and the treatment of of AIDS. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that, that's interesting. Can you talk about? I, I know you spoke earlier about some of the wonderful things that um, that your organization is doing mm-hmm. um, with providing solutions. But what are some of the unique challenges that that your that you come into contact with in providing those services, those great services that your organization is providing? Talk about those challenges. So some of the challenges I would say are again at the structural level. So depending okay. on where you are in the country, uh, the administration that we're under, the uh, funding streams that might that might be available or not to particular organizations or departments of health, that is going to either open up or constrain some of the services that we can offer. Another challenge, um, and I think it's a challenge that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we talk about it really freely, but we haven't really talked about that it's a valid reason is medical mistrust, right? Or institutional mistrust. So folks being mistrustful of institutions, of medical quote-unquote authorities, of medications, and there's a reason for that, right? We know about Tuskegee, we know about sterilization, et cetera. That's right, that's right. So that's another challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. And finally, um, I would say that um, uh, a third challenge is, again, going back to the provider level, um, especially at the community and, com- and community-based organizations, we may be the ones that actually have the trust of the community, but it's um, often recognized and quite taxing work. So there may be a lot of turnover um, of the workforce. Um, there may be a lot of burnout. So those, are, I think, are three challenges that, again, going at the, at the sort of structural level that I think we need to address. Because whenever you are doing a direct service and you're engaging with a person, it's very easy to think, oh, well, this person, and this is something that I hear a lot, is Latino, so they must be Catholic. They must not want to talk about this. They must not want to talk about that. That may be true, and that may not be true. Um, but we as providers should not automatically assume something. Right. So we're always mm-hmm. going to have challenges with an individual, right? But these are larger challenges that I think as the public health workforce and as researchers, we need to address and really um, kind of change it up a bit. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. There, there are definitely some, some uh, cultural um there, there are things that uh, that the that culturally um, present uh, mm-hmm. a number of of challenges. So, and I hear a little bit about that 
that you're saying about, especially in the Latino community and in the African American community. Yeah, because it, it's very, it's it's, it's almost taboo, you know, to really talk about it. And if you have a family member or you know someone who's HIV positive, then you know it's it's real hush hush. You know, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to, and so someone who may be newly infected um, with the HIV virus, they may be hesitant about, you know, seeking appropriate medical attention, et cetera, you know, because of the stigma attached to it. So that, that is definitely a, absolutely. Um, and to yeah. go a bit further, like even thinking about, okay, so at the intersection of like gender and like age, so older women, mm-hmm. you know, yes. older, you know, like, we always say this, like the little grandmas, the little abuelitas, like in the African-American and in the Latino communities mm-hmm. that think, oh, like there's no way that I'm at risk. I can't uh. get pregnant anymore. Right. And so we right. do see upswings in folks uh, becoming infected because really uh, also providers don't think to even ask. They don't know how to ask a sexual history of someone because they've, they already assume certain things. And it's okay if someone is uncomfortable. There's the onus is on providers mm-hmm. to create an environment where someone starts to feel comfortable to have these conversations. But if we don't start to ask, if we don't start to address some of these issues, I don't really think we're going to get much further. Although I will say that there are again approaches in place, such as U equals U at the larger level um, and biomedical prevention that is addressing the HIV um, epidemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also uh, for, you know, just to kind of end our dialogue, for our um, listeners who um, may not, you know, who are seeking more awareness of mm-hmm. how they can make a contribution to the community in mm-hmm. the realm of, of HIV and AIDS, what would you say, what, what are your words of wisdom that you would give to, you know, our listeners who are seeking to be a bit more uh, proactive, proactive or active? Yes. Sure. And in, in doing something, you say what? So what I would say is uh, honor and acknowledge yourself. So take care of yourself. If you don't know your status, go ahead and get a test. Mm -hmm. Um, Find out what your status is. Um, Find out what uh, possible risk factors there may be. Um, do Do a little more reading on your own. And then the other thing that I would say is that A, HIV and AIDS is not a contagious illness. It is not a death sentence. It is a sexually transmitted infection that also can pass through blood via injection or less likely now in the United States, um, birth and breast milk, right? So if you know of someone who's living with HIV, you can share a a glass of water with them. You can share meals. You can use the same toilet. You can hug them. You can kiss them. Right. Um, and then I would say to make sure that you can find out in your own communities. Um, and if you're interested in possibly uh, either volunteering or offering some sort of um, support service to agencies that are providing sexual and reproductive health services, 
Finally, if you're an adult and there are children in your lives, uh, talk to them about sex. You know, there's ways to talk about sex with really young kids in a very age-appropriate way. Normalize mm -hmm. it. As a professional in ministry, the sister's perspective assumes the right to voice an opinion on the topics discussed in this podcast relative to the church. I would like to raise two opinions. First, the notion of sex education within the church has been taboo since its inception. Theologians, leaders, bishops, popes, and the like have established decrees and classifications for those engaging in sexual activities as participants in sin and condemning those for their sinful nature. Yet, some of the same have lifted the church metaphorically as a hospital for believers that is aimed at helping our sinful behaviors. Hmm, this is a point of intersection with the level of alienation of the population of those living with HIV. It's difficult to address this issue without engaging another podcast just on this subject. So this is what I have to say to propose a solution. Let's start to heal, and I do place emphasis on the word heal. Let's start to heal this uh, a healing process in order to revise the institutional constructs that have been aimed at helping people that really have served to oppress. I am challenging pastors, church leaders, congregations everywhere to engage the process of putting a stop to the level of institutional mistrust present in our churches, our hospitals, and our schools. Let's start that process by being the voice of advocacy. Adopt programming that intentionally partners with organizations that help the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual healing for those who are challenged and according to the mission of the church. Just as Jesus Christ did in Matthew 9 and 35, as he went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, the Bible says he had great compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Thank you all for listening. A special thanks to Kisa Public Radio. And as we leave you, Please remember those famous words from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King that whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly. Goodbye, Individuals everyone. come to express their viewpoint, their stance, their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the community globally. Each week, our co-host and featured guests will present a perspective through a unique lens sister's perspective gives the world a frame of reference, an ear, a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, health. The sister's perspective is a roundtable on hot topics with dialogue on issues in the news. It's a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. So come check us out and give us your perspective.